0: Sorry, I knew you guys wanted to clap, but everything I'm going to say is going to be amazing. Uh, oh, <laughs> how do you pay, man? Uh, if you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Great cash, homie. Mama, there goes that man. And welcome to episode 80 of Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. In this episode of the Sack, we only have two real segments. Last week was a massively long podcast. This week, I'm going to sort of dumb it down, keep things a little bit shorter. We have the mail sack to get us started after this little intro piece Then we are going to talk round two and get some reactions from the first round of the NFL playoffs. And that's really going to be our show this week. So sit back, relax, enjoy yourself. It's going to be a dandy of an episode. Before we get to the mail sack, again, I always have to remind you all, like, rate, review, subscribe, and all that other good shit. On iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you just so happen to get your podcasts from. This week's Mail Sack segment is brought to you by Thrive Fantasy Sports. Thrive Fantasy is one of the new up-and-coming daily fantasy apps. You go on there, you pick your player props. The riskier the prop is, the more points it is going to be worth. The more points you get at the end of a session, the more better chance you have of winning money. So they have NFL props, they have NBA props, they have PGA prop players, all different types of sports. Get involved. Go to Thrive Fantasy Sports app download, and with my promo code SAC S-A-C-K, when you deposit $20, it's matched by Thrive Fantasy Sports, so you get an extra $20 as well. Sign up and prop up today at Thrive Fantasy Sports. We now get into the mail, Sack, and our first question comes from Allie Stevens, who asks, do you think Big Ben is ready to retire? I think Big Ben is ready to retire, but I don't think... He's going to. Um, how he reacted and carried himself after the game on Sunday night against the Browns, it sort of did feel like, hey, maybe he said privately to his team and everything that this sort of was quietly the last ride. If that is the case, it's sort of a underwhelming way to go out. You saw him sitting on the bench after the game with Pouncy, both of them just extremely upset. Ben Roethlisberger crying, saying how bad he felt, that he felt worse for Pouncey than he did himself. It was really upsetting thing to see, so do I think Big Ben is ready to retire? I think ultimately he probably is, but I think the way this season ended, I don't foresee him doing that, and unless he did go out of his way to tell the organization and his teammates, then... If he were to just, at the end of this year, say, yeah, I'm done, it really leaves Pittsburgh in a tough spot with quarterback, because do you feel good with Mason Rudolph? I don't. Um, There's a lot of potential in the draft for they could go and get somebody. There's going to be a lot of guys on the quarterback market or trade that they can go out and get. But ultimately... Big Ben is probably ready to retire, but the way it ended, I don't think he's ultimately going to retire. The next question comes from Hannah Burns, who asks, are we sure there aren't four quarters in a college basketball game? Hannah, the other week, said there were four quarters in a college basketball game, and she was partially right. The men's, obviously, we know two halves, but the women do play four quarters. So, Hannah, maybe you were just thinking about women the women's game when you which is so progressive of you to put that in the forefront and say that is what college basketball is, because normally when they say that college basketball, everyone's mind just goes to the men's game. Hannah, I applaud you. I take my hats off to you that the women's game, you being so far thinking, um, was at the front of your brain when we were talking about college basketball. So hats off to you, Hannah. The next question comes from Maeve Armstrong. Do you think people are closet Browns fans or are they are just now coming out about it because they're doing well? I don't think there's really many closet Browns fans. I have developed a liking for the Browns in the latter half of my life. Um, I wouldn't say they're closeted. I would just say... I think the Browns have one of the most prideful fan bases in all of the NFL, in all of sports really, even when they suck, people are still supporting them, going to the games, buying merchandise, wearing jerseys, living living a life that is about the Cleveland Browns, so I don't know if there are a ton of, how you say, closet Browns fans, and I don't think they are just now coming out because they are doing well, I think... They're just more vocal about their fandom because it's been so hard for so long for so many Browns fans. Our next question comes from Ryan Moore. Predictions for Deshaun Watson, Carson Wentz, and or other quarterbacks in 2021 free agency. The Texans, unless Deshaun Watson for the Texans says, hey, I'm just not going to play and... Doesn't show up, which he very well could. I mean, he's gonna lose money if he does that. But if he feels strongly enough about wanting to get out of Houston and get just to a different team, he could go about it to where he just does not show up. And I don't think Deshaun's that type of guy. Um, it was, it's telling to see how many people are coming out now and expressing their anger and frustrations with how the organization of the Houston Texans has been run in the history of its organization. I would see they're going to move on from him. It's going to be for a lot because he is the NFL passing leader. A lot of rumors have been made about the about him going to Miami. I I'm not ready to give up on Tua just yet. I think he needs some more weapons in that offense, and I think he needs to just sort of hit reset and take a step back and just refocus, and then I think success will come to him in Miami, but I don't know. There's going to be so many factors of just who's willing to give up the most, and I don't think the Texans really give a shit how or where Deshaun Watson wants to go. it's I think purely it's going to be who is going to give them the most. And then when you bring up Carson Wentz, I think Carson Wentz now stays in Philadelphia. I think Peterson, with his firing, I think Peterson was like, hey, I want to move on from Carson Wentz, but the management... And everybody else was saying no, like he's our guy. We're sticking with him, and it sort of came down to Carson Wentz or Doug Peterson. So I think Carson Wentz ultimately stays in Philadelphia, and I like Jalen Hurts more than I like Carson Wentz. So I'm hoping that Jalen Hurts finds an opportunity some point in this NFL with a team that's actually behind him and is willing to give him a chance, unlike what I think the Eagles were doing this year. But I think Carson Wentz has a decently good rebound season, even without knowing who the coach is going to be. I just think Carson Wentz, we've seen his heights and how good he can be, and I think he does return a little bit more to form in this next year for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, There are a couple other guys, like Dak Prescott, like Phillip Rivers, and then it really is a pretty fairly big drop down for the rest of the quarterbacks guys like Matt Safford and Matt Ryan are going to probably be available in trade talks also Cam Newton is going to be available I'm extremely interested to see if some other team that just maybe feels they're a piece away at quarterback like maybe I don't think the Washington football team is going to do something like this. I think maybe they bring in a lower-level guy like Jameis Winston who's going to be freed up or maybe a Cam Newton. But maybe you see a team like the 49ers or you see a team like the Saints who there's question marks at quarterback for them. Maybe they just say, hey, sports. Fuck it. We're going to go and pay him enough, and Dak Prescott gets paid what he should, and there's not all this, like, just fake, not even animosity, just fake hostility and stuff where Dak Prescott should have been paid what the market value for a quarterback was this year. He should have gotten paid. There's even more leverage now for him because of what has been shown by Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton did fine, but obviously, I think with Dak Prescott there, they win a couple of the games that they need to and ultimately have a chance to get into the playoffs, maybe even have it sealed up in what was a terrible year for the NFC East. Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick is another guy that I think is going to get signed no matter what, anywhere. Um, There's really not a huge quarterback class this year that's going to really move the needle. Like I said, I'm I would love if somebody just came out of nowhere and signed Dak Prescott and he got to go to a good team and potentially put the team over the top to win the Super Bowl and just stick it right up Jerry Jones' ass because Dak Prescott should have been paid handsomely this off, this past offseason and now the Cowboys find themselves in a situation where they're going to have to pay him a ton of money um, because there is no quarterback play outside of him that was good enough to get the Cowboys to where they wanted to be this year. The next question comes from Davis Cannapello asks, Fire Kerry Combs, if you did not watch, which I do not blame you because a lot of people apparently tuned out the national title game on Monday between Alabama and Ohio State, um, Alabama destroyed Ohio State's passing defense. Ohio State's passing defense was in the 120s out of 127 for passing defense the entire year. I was having a conversation with another Ohio State fan where the Kerry Combs question came up and I posed it to my dad as well. It's going to be really hard to justify firing Kerry Combs or even getting him to accept a role as just like a special a not even a special teams but a secondary coach for Ohio State because he left Tennessee as the secondary coach for Ohio State to be the head DC and I think you give him one more year to really show like hey I can change I can get these guys playing better and if not I think Ryan Day is the type of coach where Urban Meyer was very loyal to coaches and assistants. I'm not saying Ryan Day isn't loyal, but I think he can see and has a better idea of when he needs to move on and be able to level up and get a better coach in there. I think you give him one more year, and I don't think you can just outright get rid of him this year because of his impact on the recruiting trail. I was looking during the game because, like I said, that question came up, should we move on from Kerry Combs? And the litany and list of guys he's brought into Ohio State, um, Jeff Okuda, five-star Paris Johnson, tons of other guys that had impacts at Ohio State and were key players, and have gone on to the NFL, Marshawn Lattimore, Von Bell, tons of guys, and it's, He's definitely one of the best recruiters Ohio State has, but if the play in the secondary remains the same next year and doesn't have, I think, really a vast improvement, and I know they lose a couple guys, they're going to lose Sean Wade, they're going to lose Josh Proctor, I believe, there's some guys there, obviously the talent. Is there for them, but if the passing defense is the same next year, then yes, you got to move on from Kerry Combs. Even even if he is bringing the juice and is a hell of a recruiter. Our next question comes from Alex Raver, who asked for the first time. First question. Thank you so much, Alex. For sending one in. Who do you think is going to win the Super Bowl? Um, last week, I had my prediction as the. Chiefs over the Seahawks, and the Seahawks have absolutely fucked me by letting John Wolford and Jared Goff with a bad thumb to beat them, so I have to totally reassess. I still think the Chiefs end up winning, but now I have absolutely no clue who comes from the NFC. Our next question comes from Lexi France, who asks, who's going to land in Philly for head coach? for the head coaching position. Um, Adam Gase, hopefully. I absolutely hate Adam Gase. I, for you, as a Philadelphia Eagles fan, I wish nothing more than Adam Gase to just totally stay away from your organization. I could see maybe the Bills offensive coordinator going down there. I think that's a good style fit for him. Um, you saw what he was able to do with Josh Allen and really... Take Josh Allen's game to the next level with the play calling, and everything. I think there's a ability to do that with Carson Wentz, so I would be high on on Brian Dayball to hopefully come in and do that for Carson Wentz as well. And there's enough offensive pieces around him where. He could run sort of what he did in Buffalo and be successful in Philadelphia. So that would be at the top of my list of guys who I'd want. The offensive coordinator from the Bills, Brian Dable. Our next question comes from Andrew Crumb, who asks, What's the best song from the year 2016, freshman year, sophomore year? In preparation for this question, I went and I looked at Billboard's Hot 100 Songs of 2016. Number one was Love Yourself by Justin Bieber. You had One Dance by Drake at number three. You had Panda at number six from Designer. You had Closer at number 10 from The Chainsmokers. You had My House uh, from Flo Rida at number 14. Let's see. You had... 21 Pilots was all over this list. Um, they have three songs in the top 21. You have Hotline Bling from Drake, Low Life from Future featuring The Weeknd, The Hills from The Weeknd himself, Broccoli from Dram, Don't from Bryson Tiller, Jumpman from Drake and Future, um, a personal favorite of mine, I Hate You, I Love You by Gnash. I don't, I never learned how to say that. Um, a personal favorite of mine, uh, Jordan Belfour as well. You a lot, Don't Mind by Kent Jones was from 2016. Jesus Christ. 2016 was probably the pinnacle of music, if we're being honest. White Iverson by Post Malone. Can't Feel My Face by The Weeknd. Antidote by Travis Scott. 20, uh, mm, 2016 really was a great year for music. Personally, I think Closer got the most plays at all day drinks and frat parties that I was going to and was at, so ultimately, I think Closer is that number one song for 2016 just because of how prevalent it was whenever we were out doing something at a party or anything. Closer was always bound to get played multiple times. It's good. It still is good to this day, whether you want to believe it or not. Um, So ultimately, I think I go with Closer as the best song from 2016. Our next question comes from Paul Marino who asks, How do you think Goof did with his huge thumb? Again, I'm fucking sick of you calling him Jared Goof. It's Jared Goff. Put some respect on that damn man's name. He did well enough to win. That's really all that matters. Um, How's he going to do this coming week? I'm not really sure. Hopefully he can continue to rehab and the swelling and the size of it goes down and it makes it easier for him to throw because there were times in the game where it just looked bad. He was missing easy throws, overthrowing receivers. Um, Hopefully he can keep working the rehab. It doesn't hopefully the thumb isn't as big of a factor um, in this week's performance for him as it was last week next set of questions comes from Michael Bennett who asks since you are a fan of both what are your feelings when the Browns and Steelers play each other ultimately I cannot lose it's a very nice feeling in that way Um, this past Sunday I was much happier that the Browns got a win than the Steelers but at the end seeing Ben on the bench did really like hit like holy shit this guy's probably done and he's done a lot for that organization and been really the corner piece for that organization for so many years overall when they play in the regular season it doesn't affect me all that much because again I cannot lose ultimately I do hope they sort of just split the season series each year and never have to play each other in the playoffs. but it's all it's just a nice thing to see and knowing hey I cannot lose so just enjoy the football game Our next question, again, comes from Michael Bennett, who asks, what pro sports franchise would you like to be the owner of, excluding your favorite teams? I think the Cowboys would be right up there. I think an English Premier Soccer team, but one of the shittier ones, so there's not, like, a ton of pressure. And anything I do there that is good is like, wow, hey, he's really turning this thing around. Um... I think the San Diego Padres, I'd like that. Um, I would also like to say maybe the Colorado Rockies, just because I think Colorado would be cool to live in, and the Rockies, like, they can be good once every, like, 10 years, and their fans aren't really asking for all that much. And so, and plus you live in... Colorado, that's pretty cool. So I'd go with those right there. Colorado, San Diego Padres, Dallas Cowboys, and a really mid-to-low-level English Premier League soccer team would be my answers for that. Next set of questions comes from Jack Muldoon, who asked top three favorite places to eat. Number one is Roosters. I will live and die on the hill that Roosters is the best chicken wings I've had. Um boneless though, not regular chicken wings. Then I will say just prisoner of the moment, Diorios, big fan of Diorios, love a good pie from there. And then I will say Bourbon and Toulouse and Lexington was quite delicious. And then number four. This is going to sound very pretentious because I've only eaten there once, but I love the vibe when I was there. The food was great. It might have just been the high from the trip I was on, but uh Chapman's in Pinehurst, North Carolina was amazing and delicious. I would eat there so many more times just to try all the things they had good on the menu. We had when I went, we had the specials. It was lasagna and Another type of pasta, and it was delicious. Their lobster dip that we had for the appetizer was delicious. So, again, again, a lot of factors went into that. Maybe I was just riding high from the trip I was on, but absolutely love that. So I will go with those three to four places that I really enjoy and like the most. And then the next question from Jack is, Major League Sport Venue you'd like to go to? I would like to go... Back to Augusta at some point, and I would like to go to. I'd like to go to St. Andrews for the British Open, and I'd like to go. I'd like to go to the Staples Center for a game with LeBron. Besides that, I'm pretty content on just about anything. I maybe I could say I'd like to go to the Big House as an Ohio State fan for the Ohio State game and watch Ohio State just. Wreck them. Besides that, really, there's not many places that I'm like dying to go to. Venue wise, maybe to see certain teams, yes, but venue wise, that's really about it. Next question comes from Ben Locks when asked, "Should the Bills Mafia be worried about barely getting by the Colts?" I don't think so. The Colts are a decent team. They run the ball extremely well. Their defense is pretty good. Josh Allen didn't look. Sp- perfect in that game last week, but I don't think they need to be all totally worried because, I mean, all week the Colts heard just how easy this game was going to be for the Bills and how it was just going to be a cakewalk, and I think that did play a very motivating factor into the game for the Colts. Uh, The Colts are a decent, good team. I don't think there's anything you need to overly be worried about as a Bills fan for just getting by them. And then our last question comes from Cam Sheeler who asks, is Mac Jones real? Mac Jones is real. And what I, I never had any real strong opinion about him, but watching the national title game on Monday, obviously his performance was incredible. But after the game, how excited he was, obviously you're going to be excited for, the team, and yourself for winning a national championship and having the season that you had. But walking around, the cameras caught him talking to another player, a freshman, and him saying, you won a national title as a freshman, what? That's crazy. And he said it in like a very sincere, caring way that I thought was just really cool and nice to see. I'm rooting for Mac Jones at the next level. I hope he goes and has a successful NFL career and continues to grow and develop from this one year that he had at Alabama. So is he real? I think he's definitely real. But I think we're going to see just how real he is if he gets a shot in the NFL. And if not, hey, he's got one of the best seasons for an Alabama quarterback in history and a national championship to hang his hat on, which isn't too bad at all. And then this... Cam, thank you for your question. This doesn't have anything to do with that, but I saw a stat that I thought was just absolutely mind-blowing. Every recruit that Nick Saban has brought into Alabama at some point in their four years or five years or their, just their tenure in Alabama has won a national title. So if you buy into Alabama, you're pretty much guaranteed at least one national championship championship every four years as a recruit, and that's basically... That should be all you need as a recruit as a sales pitch. I mean, obviously you see their ability to turn out draft picks at a high number, but then pretty much a guaranteed national championship at least once in your tenure as a football player there, that's pretty fucking impressive. As much as I do not like Alabama and I have... I don't have disdain for Nick Saban, but I respect the hell out of that statistic and his ability to perform and coach at such a high level. We now shift our focus from the mail sack to the NFL division round of the playoffs. Thank you all for sending in questions. You all make that segment, the mail sack, possible. Thank you once again. Our first game... For the division round is on Saturday at 435. You have the Rams going to the Packers, and I honestly cannot see or fathom away the Green Bay Packers lose this game. Aaron Rodgers has had a MVP caliber season. Aaron Jones on the ground, 9 touchdowns, 1,100 yards. Receiving Devontae Adams, 18 touchdowns, 1,300 yards. It'll be interesting to watch the matchup between Jalen Ramsey and Devontae Adams. Can a secondary guy for Aaron Rodgers like Scantling, like Lazard, like the tight end Tanyan, or someone else step up in the passing game if Devontae Adams is slowed down a little bit by Jalen Ramsey. It'll also be interesting to see if Aaron Jones is going to be able to run against that front seven that has been pretty good all year against the run for the Rams. Aaron Donald's a little banged up, but ultimately I think he's going to end up playing. Another big question for the Rams is how is the quarterback in golf going to end up playing? Can he go have success against this Packers defense who has shown they're pretty good against the pass. Jari Alexander has emerging as one of the better young Cornerbacks in this NFL. Ultimately, I don't think I one. I think that the Rams going to Lambeau, a California team going to the frozen tundra at Lambeau Field, it's it's concerning and it normally weather does play some factor into it. But I think especially a California team going to Green Bay in the winter does ultimately is going to affect them. And I think that the quarterback play for the Rams, they're not going to be able to score enough points to keep up with the Packers. So ultimately, I have the Packers beating the Rams on Saturday. And then what I think is going to be the best game of the weekend, the Ravens go to the Bills. Last week, the Ravens beat the Titans in a close game. We look at some stats from that. The Ravens, Lamar Jackson, 179 yards through the air. One interception, was able to gain 136 yards and one touchdown on the ground, and then Hollywood Brown, seven receptions, 109 yards. That's very encouraging to see. And the defense for the Ravens was pretty good. Got a couple, got a takeaway or two. I I know the interception. I don't know if they got another takeaway, but at least one interception against Ryan Tannehill and the Titans. Ultimately, I think the key to this game for the Ravens is how well that defense is going to play. Obviously, we've seen all year Josh Allen and that Bills offense put up a lot of points, be able to move the ball on just about anybody. If they can limit that a little bit and come up with a takeaway or two here or there in big moments, then I think the Ravens have a really good shot. It'll be interesting to see how the Bills are able to maybe slow down The running game for the Ravens and make Lamar Jackson beat them through the air which he's shown at times obviously in the past he has issues with that but if Hollywood Brown could have another decent game like that maybe find the end zone and Lamar and the Ravens can lean on Mark Andrews to have a good game maybe eight or nine catches Mm -hmm. and really just be that safety blanket in the pass game for Uh, Lamar Jackson, if they do end up having to throw the ball, then I think the Ravens have a decent chance to upset the Bills. I'm picking the Ravens to upset the Bills regardless just because I think the defense for the Ravens is really coming into form right now, and that offensive line and that rushing attack has looked exponentially better the last half of the season. I think they're going to be able to run the ball on the Bills extremely well, and I think Lamar Jackson probably has... 100 yards and another touchdown, and I think he probably has two touchdowns through the air as well. I think it's going to be a good enough game um, script-wise for him where when he is throwing the ball, it's not going to be where he has to, and that's where he finds himself in trouble down or having to come from behind where it's obvious passing situations. I think the Ravens offense with the Mars will be able to establish a nice mix of pass and run plays and open things up for Lamar in the passing game through the run game so I have the Ravens beating the Bills uh, to go and move on to the AFC Championship game and this is nothing against the Bills whatsoever they've had a great year Josh Allen 4,500 yards The running game for them, the Bills, they lose Zach Moss, who I think is a better interior runner. Um, Would have been extremely important for them this week to help establish the run game against the Ravens. But Devin Singletary, only 687 yards and two touchdowns on the year, so I'm not really feeling confident about that. Obviously, Diggs, though, 1,500 yards, eight touchdowns, leading the team in catches and receiving yards and touchdowns so it's it'll be interesting to see how Diggs can maybe get loose get by some of the secondary pieces for the ravens with peters and a couple other guys but peters has played pretty well the last couple weeks especially last week um getting the interception to help seal the game for the Ravens. But ultimately, I do think the Ravens defense steps up, makes a play or two here or there when they need to, and that propels them to a win to move on to the AFC Championship. And then Sunday, we have the Browns going to the Chiefs. I've got the Chiefs in this one. Unfortunately... The passing defense for the Browns all year, especially the secondary, has been extremely suspect. Denzel Ward is a good cornerback, but he's been banged up. He's coming back this week. It'll be interesting to see who they put him on. It's going to be tough um, covering Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, Miko Hardman, Robinson, Travis Kelsey. I think Travis Kelsey has a big game in this one. I don't think they have a guy that's going to be able to match his physicality um, in the secondary. And then I think if you put a linebacker on him, I think he's definitely faster than a lot of the Browns linebackers. Unless Mac Wilson can show up and maybe cover him, which I think he tackling him is one thing. Covering him is another. I'm comfortable enough having Mac Wilson cover him, but Mac Wilson has struggled all year at the linebacker position to be a, an effective tackler. So, hopefully, it's just a lot of incomplete passes to Travis Kelsey. Um, Stefanski is back this week for the Browns on Thursday. They activate um, the offensive guard and Denzel Ward from the COVID list this week as well. So, the Browns offensive line will be back at full strength. If they are going to win this game, I think the Browns, again, they have shown last week and the Ravens game and a couple other games, if it's going to be a shootout, they're capable of putting up a lot of points. Um, I think the Chiefs defense is good, but gettable, so it's going to be imperative for the Browns to establish the run with Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, both those guys. I think... Kareem Hunt's going to try and have an all-world day, and I think he might have the possibility of doing that. But you got to establish a run and make sure that's working. So the play action that they love to do with Baker is opened up, and then have Baker make smart passes. Understand that the Chiefs might go and have three or four chunk plays on a drive and score in those three or four plays, but a 11-12 Play drive that ends up in seven points is just as good as those big plays that the Chiefs might get. It's gonna help keep Mahomes and that offense off the field. It's gonna help run clock and kill clock. So I think Stefanski is gonna have his hands full on the defensive side of the ball, trying to stop them. But offensive wise, I think it's pretty simple. Establish a run, work the play action, and have Baker realize that hey, it's okay if the plays, if the drive if the drive takes. A lot of plays to get into the end zone because ultimately that does limit the time of homes and that high-powered offense is on the field. But in the end, I think the Chiefs do wind up winning this game against the Browns. And then the nightcap on Sunday in the NFC, you have the Buccaneers going to the Saints. And ultimately, I have the Buccaneers winning this. The, The Saints have looked like world beaters each time they've played the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers have looked terrible, especially on that Sunday or Monday night game uh, down in Tampa where it was pretty much 28-3 or 28-0 in the blink of an eye and the game was practically over. I think Tom is... The Saints do... What they do on defense is what Tom struggles with the most where they get pressure with just their front line and they can still drop guys back into coverage with Cam Jordan and a multitude of other guys there. Um, If Ronald Jones plays, I think that's going to be massive because his emergence and being able to utilize him has been extremely uh, important to what Tom Brady likes to do on offense. I, again, I go with the Buccaneers. What, the Saints did last week isn't really all that impressive. Um, it was nice to see Mike Thomas back. You saw Drew Brees looking for him early and often. I think you could look for that to be another um, key matchup. To how the Saints' passing game with Mike Thomas and Drew Brees and a couple other guys, Jared Cook, Emmanuel Sanders, um, attacks this secondary for the Buccaneers. Sean Payton, I think, is going to maybe try and get a little too cute and get Taysom Hill involved a little bit. I Ultimately, it comes down to it's hard to beat the same team twice in one year. It's even harder to beat the same team three times in one year, and I subscribe to that philosophy wholeheartedly. So I take the Buccaneers over the Saints. Right now, the Saints are three-point favorites. Um, but I take the Buccaneers in the underdog role to pull off the upset to set up the matchups of the Ravens and the Chiefs in the AFC Conference Championship game and the Buccaneers and the Packers in the NFC Conference Championship game. Before I get out of here, I do want to add one little piece, one little segment. Last night, my dad and I, before the... Kentucky basketball game, we watched part one of the Tiger Woods documentary on HBO. The documentary is based heavily off of the book Tiger Woods by Armin Contan and one other person. I read that book. I advise you, if you're a Tiger Woods fan, a golf fan, or a sports fan, go out of your way, read it. It's not a quick read by any means. It is a hefty, lengthy book, but the insights and personal anecdotes and everything that Tan and so many other people were able to get and contribute to this book were absolutely incredible. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed reading that book last year. And so for part one in this documentary the it's not really a goth documentary as it is, part one at least, as a examination of study of the personal life of Tiger Woods. It talks a lot about How Earl Woods, his father, was such a big influence in his life, Um, how he had him in swinging a golf club at 10 months old, how Earl was always there for him as a best friend but sort of pushed some limits and some boundaries. It's extremely fascinating. And, yes, they do have the golf highlights spliced in. They have, obviously, the Masters win in 97, the win at Pebble Beach for the U.S. Open, Um, a couple things from Firestone. They have the British Open, the first major that Tiger wins after Earl Woods passes away, and that was extremely um, not tough to watch, but it really hit differently because... um, they show a piece there, a film where Tiger, after obviously goes and hugs his caddy, Stevie Williams, and you could see Stevie thinks, like, oh, the hug's done after a little bit, but Tiger just keeps holding on and how emotionally he is. Obviously, you lose a parent like that, but. That was something to see. Then there were other stories um, going back to the Earl Woods, Tiger Woods relationship about how Earl would mess with Tiger and just try and get him to just become so focused, rattling chains, making noise in his swings and everything. And they mentioned that Earl Woods was a demolition guy over in Vietnam. So they would send him into... Behind enemy lines with C4 and explosive and all these other things to blow things up, not with a gun. And it it was very in passing, but I thought it really did help lend a little bit of a view into how Tiger Woods was taught and brought up to approach these things as like life and death and how focused you have to be and how committed and you just have to block everything else out and focus on one of these tasks. I mentioned how Earl brought that same philosophy of staying focused and staying on goal and everything back from Vietnam and instilled all of that in Tiger, which I thought was a very interesting concept to look at. The big story, I'm not going to get too far into it but it's in the later half of the episode where they talk about Tiger being a young kid being on the putting green and Earl Woods had this Winnebago that he would leave at the course at the army course where he taught Tiger Woods and he would take women into the Winnebago and they say they have cocktails but Wink wink nud nudge, like you know what that means. And this is all while Tiger's father Earl is still married to Tiger's mom, Coltita. Tita as they call her a lot in the book and the documentary. And it shows from that age sort of planting the seeds for part two of what happens with Tiger and its infidelity. And what it touched on at the end. Of the part one and the end of Earlwood's life is how Tiger sort of grew apart from his dad. And that that was tough to see because you hear about how close they were from people in this documentary and through the book. And then seeing how they talked about it and on the documentary and even in the book. How they grew apart. And it's not... It's not not warranted. I mean, Tiger was becoming his own man. was becoming his sort of own person. He was able to handle things better. But Earl did a lot of things that made the decision a lot easier. Not the process and the ramifications any easier. Obviously, for having to really remove yourself a little bit and not be around your dad, who you call your best friend, um, any easier. But I just... I implore you, again, if you are a golf fan, a sports fan, or just any interest at all, go out of your way, watch part one. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to part two of the documentary that comes out this Sunday. Um, I'll talk a little bit about that and have a little bit more detailed notes for that um, next week on next week's pod. That is going to do it for Episode 80 of Carson Sack Podcast. Join me once again next week as we talk about the NFL playoffs and the conference championship matchups. We're going to have a mail sack. We're going to have the Tiger Woods Part 2 documentary thoughts, reviews, and things like that. Um, Sign up. Thrive Fantasy, once again, they sponsored the mail sack segment this week. Sign up. Deposit $20, use my promo code SAC, all capitals, S A C K, and get an instant match of $20 when you sign up and use that promo code. Like, rate, review, subscribe, all that other good shit wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, as we always end here on Carson Sack Podcast, we will be safe.